Hello and welcome to Seeing Red, a true crime podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Bethan. Thank you for joining us once again, guys. Yeah, thank you for coming back. Bethan, did you want to name check our beautiful new Patreon supporters? Oh, I do. I love doing this bit. So yes, a huge thank you to our newest Patreon supporters, Catherine Robinson, Charlene Thompson, Stuart Goodman, Emma Williams, Alison Gurdievsky, Hope Nesbitt, Georgina Dangerfield, Lucy Took, Shelley McGonagall, Louise Keogh, Emma Watty and Marta. Thank you very much, everybody. If you want to join these people, then all you need to do is head over to patreon.com slash seeingredpodcast. And we've got loads and loads of amazing stuff going on over there. I won't bore you with it all here, but do head over there and have a look at what you could get access to if you support us over there. This week's episode takes the fake it till you make it sentiment to the absolute extreme. In typical Mark style, yes, I am now talking about myself in the third person. Jesus. Yeah. So in in typical Mark style, we are once again navigating our way towards the upper echelons of high society, this time to explore one of the most notorious frauds of the 21st century. So strap yourselves in and hold tight as we prepare to go on a journey across the Atlantic and into the privileged world of Manhattan's elite. This is the story of Anna Delvey. And why do I get the feeling that you've been taking notes ready for when you head over across the Atlantic and try and pretend that you're part of Manhattan Elite? <laughs> yeah, I could do actually. I'm there in a few months' time. So. Oh God, I'll look out for your Insta stories pretending you're fancy. Exactly. Yeah, you know me too well. Um, so Anna Sorokin, as she was born, uh, was born in 1991 in Doma de Dovo, a small town in Russia, approximately 25 miles southwest of Moscow. She grew up in a stable home with her truck driver father and her stay-at-home mother. She had a younger brother and together they enjoyed a pretty normal childhood in post-communist Russia. The family weren't well off by any means but they were comfortable. Anna excelled at school and gained top grades in every single subject and whilst relatively popular she was viewed as being slightly aloof by her peers. From a young age, she strived to stand out from the crowd and she couldn't help but look down on her classmates. You see, unlike them, she was determined to make something of herself, to make her mark on the world and to show everyone what she was capable of. Anna Sorokin moved to Germany with her parents and brother in 2007 when she was 16. There, she attended high school in Eichweiler, a small working-class town approximately 60 kilometres from Cologne, near to the Belgian and Dutch border. Did you like my German pronunciation there? I did. I really enjoyed that. I'd love it if you have some more German words to have to pronounce. Please, 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 I don't, please. I don't think there are. Nothing else for you really to pronounce? Aren't, no. Oh, that's nope. a shame. No. Can you just do that whole paragraph again? <laughs> I can say Eichweiler again. Thank you. So Anna's uh, school friends remember her as being pretty quiet and they said that she had an awkward command of German. So I guess the two go hand in hand. If you don't really know the language, you're going to be pretty quiet, aren't you, at school? Yeah, and it's going to be difficult for you to then be outgoing if you're not able to joke or respond quickly. Yeah, and build a rapport and build relationships with with your kind of uh, contemporaries. Uh, So upon moving to Germany, Anna's father took up a job with a transport company, but this time as a manager rather than a driver. And the family lived a more prosperous life in Germany. However, it still wasn't enough for Anna. 
After graduating from high school in 2001, she decided she'd had enough of suburban life and moved first to London, where she briefly attended the renowned art college Central St. Martins, before moving on to Berlin, where she interned in the fashion department of a public relations firm. From here, Anna relocated to Paris, where she landed a coveted internship at Purple, the celebrated fashion and culture magazine. And it was here in Paris that Anna Sorokin decided to shed her Russian heritage once and for all, and Anna Delvey was born. This reminds me, I've been watching the absolute nonsense telly that is the delights of Emily in Paris, and um, she is is marketing more though, but she goes to Paris and she's an American there and she doesn't really speak the language and she's just like out of her depth a little bit but she's also got this command of herself and yeah stuff happens it's awful trash telly but it's also absolutely amazing and it just kind of reminds me so I'm imagining Emily now when you're talking about Anna I think there are some parallels I've not seen that show but I've heard about it so yeah there probably are some parallels so with aspirations of becoming a career bitch at purple (laughs) (laughs) and I thought you'd love that Anna soon found herself becoming more of a basic bitch Having dreamt of attending glamorous parties all in the name of work and editing features for the magazine, Anna found herself making the tea and sweeping the floors. Okay, I made the last bit up. They probably had cleaners for that, but (laughs) she was the ultimate basic bitch at Purple. At first, she tried desperately to fit in, turning up to work in Celine sunglasses and Balenciaga dresses, but she just could never quite manage to pull it off. It didn't really matter how much money she spent, what she wore, she just kind of blended into the background and certainly in the early days at Purple, she went largely unnoticed. Colleagues described her as awkward and weird and there were even reports of her being bullied during her time at Purple. Do you know, it really frustrates me, I'm sure we've spoken before, but adults bullying is just one of the most frustrating things, isn't it? Because you can almost understand it with children, they're learning, they're developing and when when it's children, I mean once it's teenagers they're just twats, but adults bullying is just... Yeah, it's, um, I mean, I've seen it. I've been the victim of it. Uh, yeah, it really bothers me. So I, I really feel for Anna at this time because she didn't really speak French either. So, uh, yeah, she was struggling and trying to make her way in a new city. But yeah, in spite of, of these kind of difficult beginnings at Purple, Anna realised that her association with the magazine brought with it a certain status. And so she persevered there, eventually forging ties with a number of influential colleagues, including the magazine's much-fated editor-in-chief, Olivier Zahm. And finally, she gained a degree of acceptance amongst her peers. Slowly but surely, she became a regular on the Paris social scene, and she started making a name for herself as a girl about town. During her time in Paris, Anna's family scrimped and saved in order to fund her living expenses. Don't forget, this was an internship and Anna wasn't being paid. So how was she turning up in, like, fancy clothes and stuff? Well, I I forgot that. I forgot it was an internship. Yeah, her family didn't really have a lot of money, but they... She was quite manipulative and they had enough to be able to support her. So I kind of think Anna at this point was the sort of person that rather than pay her heating bill would have gone out and bought a Chloe bag or something. Yeah. You know, that, that was the life that she was living. She probably starved herself so she could buy all of the good designer mm. stuff. And she might have been racking up a bit of debt as well for all we know. 
So her family made these sacrifices in order to pay what they thought was probably her rent and bills. And she assured them that this would be a sound investment in her future and that she was going places. And I've got no doubt that they would have been very proud of her because she'd come from such humble beginnings, just as communism fell in Russia. Uh, It was a new dawn there, but they they were a poor family, really. And um, yeah, their daughter was now working in the fashion capital of the world, pursuing her dreams. A year or so after moving to Paris to take up the position with Purple, Anna relocated to their New York office. Little is known of her movements at this time, although it is believed that she left Purple shortly after moving to the Big Apple. A few months later, in September 2013, Anna popped up at Paris Fashion Week. Using her connections at Purple, she'd managed to blag herself an invite, and at this time she was even described by one publication which covered proceedings as an influencer, because I think she'd really started building up a bit of a social media following at this time. I'm not sure how she managed that. And I think in 2013 as well, influencer was quite a new thing, so she must have been doing something quite innovative and different at that point. Yeah, that's true. She would have been one of the very first. Um, So this wasn't the only international trip that Anna took in the months following her departure from Purple. Her Instagram account was littered with shots of her posing up a storm in LA, Berlin and Miami, and she charted her exploits as an international jet setter to her now 40,000 Instagram followers, posing for pictures at art gallery openings and society parties, and it was around this time that she forged a close bond with a man called Hunter Lee Soik. Now, Hunter Lee Soik, a budding tech entrepreneur, was really starting to make waves around this time. He was seen as somewhat of a maverick in his field. There was a real cult of personality surrounding him, and he was in demand. He was a regular on the international motivational speaking circuit, and he was even profiled in The New Yorker, an influential magazine in the US. Anna knew he was going places, and she latched onto him like a leech onto a bloody wound. Oh, good imagery. And we'll come back to Hunter, because he is an important character in the beginnings of Anna's story. Um, So let's kind of um, sum up where we are. In just a few short months, Anna's gone from lowly intern to international jet setter. Upon leaving Purple, she had completely reinvented herself as a society darling in New York, and she was now telling anyone and everyone that she was a German heiress who was in line to receive a trust fund worth $67 million on her 26th birthday. Oh my God, wow. Yeah, yeah. She's not going halves, is she? No, it's go, go hard or go home. Definitely. Anna had a phenomenal ability to retain information and it was this that became her superpower and that propelled her to the very top of Manhattan society, which we'll come on to uh, shortly. Believing her to be a wealthy socialite, Hunter Lee Soik introduced Anna to a number of influential contacts and Anna really embraced her new identity. She began to act the part of a woman born to extreme wealth, an heiress who would soon be coming into a fortune of her very own. It's not clear if Anna and Hunter were ever in a romantic relationship, but they did spend a lot of time together, particularly in 2014 and 2015. And there's sort of anecdotal evidence of them being a bit of a double act at this time. So they kind of travelled the globe, travelling first class, and they would turn up at society parties and networking events and blag their way in, drink all the free champagne and, and yeah, network and build, build their contact base. It sounds like fun. We should try and do Absolutely. this. Absolutely. I'd love to. 
So they were pictured together on Anna's Instagram page, holidaying in Austria, Croatia and Ibiza, and it seemed that Hunter may have been bankrolling Anna's lifestyle at this time. She wasn't working, yet she was able to afford first-class travel and designer clothes. They were constantly jetting around the globe. And Hunter wasn't exactly a billionaire, or even a millionaire yet, but he was making a name for himself as a budding entrepreneur. Towards the end of 2015, now fully entrenched in her new identity as trust fund kid Anna Delvey, Anna came up with the preposterous idea of opening a private members club in Manhattan a dynamic visual arts centre dedicated to contemporary art. Her vision was for a creative space for creative people. The venue would be called the Anna Delvey Foundation and would be the private members club in New York. And of course this was all pie in the sky, it's not really clear what Anna's motivations were at this time, but she wasn't an heiress, she didn't have this trust fund coming to her very soon, and she stood no chance of turning this warped dream into a reality. Or did she? Oh, it's so crazy. It's so bizarre, isn't it? It is bizarre. That's, that's that's the only way that you can sum up her whole story. And just when you think that there's going to be no more twists and turns, there's like a whole million other ones. And for, for me, this was the point really where the lines between fantasy and reality really began to blur for Anna. And I think she started to believe that she could achieve this dream of opening the Anna Delvey Foundation. Um, she, she was really starting to believe it and to, to live it. Um, but of course, there was just one problem. She didn't have any money. And this is where Hunter Lee Soik comes in. This was a guy who had reinvented himself. He was the OG emperor in new clothes. He hadn't achieved anything yet, but he had managed to create a buzz. And to his contemporaries in this tech world that he operated in, he was one to watch. And he kind of had their buy-in, really, from really influential people, certainly in Silicon Valley. Hunter knew how to manage his own PR, and Anna learnt so much from him. Under his guidance, Anna contacted Mark Kremers, founder and head of London-based design firm Future Corp. She instructed him to create a slick prospectus for the Anna Delvey Foundation in the hope of securing wealthy investors. And this this wasn't just like a magazine, this was like 20 grand's worth of uh, design and features and photos and copy. Uh, it's like an 80 or 90 page prospectus, incredibly professional. For really an imaginary impressive. thing that she hasn't even... Absolutely, yeah, 100% like bullshit thing. Um, At the end of 2015, Hunter and Anna went their separate ways. Hunter decamped to Dubai and Anna set about taking on Manhattan. Anna was now mixing with a wealthy set of friends in New York, dining at the best restaurants and living up to her persona as a wealthy socialite. She shared her vision for the Anna Delvey Foundation with her new friends and it began to take on a life of its own. It became her ultimate priority, and what started out as a fantasy was fast becoming a reality. Over the coming months, Anna toured various venues in Manhattan as she looked for a home for the Anna Delvey Foundation, and she finally settled on the Church Missions House, an historic building located on Park Avenue South, set over six floors. Here, she would have the space to bring her dream to life. In a nod to her newfound heritage, there would be a German bakery, The basement would be home to a nightclub and the remaining floors would house artists in residence, studio space, cocktail lounges and restaurants. 
And to be honest, I'm sold. Oh my God, I'd totally I, go there. This sounds incredible. Doesn't it sound amazing? I think it probably was what New York was crying out for at that time because a lot of the private members clubs would have probably been a bit stuffy, a bit traditional. Yeah. Like and this would have been something men, very like new. Old boys club sort of things, wouldn't yeah, it? Not a nightclub. Yeah. And it is hilarious how she's gone. German bakery as well, because obviously I'm German. I yeah, exactly. So she's hilarious. not even German. And she, she she kind of spoke or speaks with this really weird accent because she was brought up in Russia until she was 16, moved to Germany. She was there for a few years in London briefly, then Berlin, then Paris. So I, I suppose she has just moved around so much. Now she's in America. So the, the accent is, um yeah, it's very peculiar. So maybe she would have got away with this German heiress thing because she <laughs> would have sounded a bit German, I guess. I guess as well for an American who potentially doesn't know very many european people a lot of the accents could sound quite similar if it's like european in general or like where she might sound a bit russian they might think that sounds like german or i don't know like it, it could just be you don't know the like the accent really so you just think it's that's her accent i don't know yeah if you, bit... if you don't know that if you don't know the accent of that particular country you're just going to take it at face value aren't yeah. you yeah so. Um, so yeah, so as I say, it, it sounds absolutely amazing and I'd have probably invested myself if I had any money or at least visited regularly. Um, and the location where this church missions house was, which is a huge building, a beautiful building, um, the location was superb and there would have even been a terrace overlooking Central Park where creative types could network and inspire each other, which I thought sounded a bit wanky. Oh my That's God, it sounds horrific, I... doesn't it? Yeah, doesn't it? <laughs> it yeah, like absolutely like poses, posing. Yeah, a lot of bellends for sure. Um, so Anna's ability to retain information, as I kind of alluded to er- earlier, became her secret weapon as she set about exploiting the influential elite of Manhattan. She was able to build relationships with ease, researching her targets beforehand and then engineering a common ground. If you were a wealthy art collector, for example, with a particular interest in the Renaissance period, she would study hard and then impress you with her knowledge. And this gave her a legitimacy and it brokered trust as well. Oh, yeah. If if you're good at remembering facts and, rem- and especially people as well, people love it when you know stuff about them and remember them. It's just human nature. So this must have been incredibly charismatic and charming of her. I think what I'm struggling with is I don't know much about this case and I've made myself not mm. do any research because I wanted to be surprised by you. And so far, I'm kind of loving it. And I I don't know what she's going to do that's so wrong and I'm a bit scared of what's going to happen because I don't know. And actually, I kind of like what she's doing here. I think this is quite fun. Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree. I think um, she is a bit of an anti-hero and we'll we'll kind of get to know Anna a bit more as we go through the story. And I think she becomes less likeable and then a bit more likeable at the end. But at the moment, she's, she is 100% the anti-hero. And I think there's a part in all of us that wants her to succeed in, in taking on the church missions house and turning it into the Anna Delvey Foundation. Um, so, yeah, let's see. Um, let's see how far she gets. So one of these targets, uh, as I said, she kind of researched people and things they were into and then targeted them. So what one such person was Richie Notar, and he was one of the founders of Nobu. 
And Anna managed to persuade, yeah, very fancy. Anna managed to persuade him to do a walkthrough of the church missions house with her. And she, during that walkthrough, she kind of asked his advice and she talked about her vision for the foundation. And she would then go on to dine out on that for months and months, using Rich's name to help secure further contacts, telling people that he was acting as an advisor to her and her business. So, you know, very clever, really, very sneaky, but very clever. Many have commented that in a New York kind of way, Anna's vision for the church missions house made absolute sense, as I said. And um, the owner of the building, Abby Rosen, a New York real estate tycoon, was no stranger to the private club genre himself, having opened the core club in Manhattan, which also housed an art collection. And I think, yeah, Anna's vision was detailed and daring. And I really do believe that it could have been just what New York was looking for at that time. I really do. In spite of that, Anna did struggle to attract private investors and desperate to keep her dream alive, she now turned to City National Bank and Fortress Investment Group in pursuit of a $22 million loan. And this is where shit gets serious really because up until this point, she's not really done anything wrong. She's lived the life of a Billy bullshitter, but she hasn't stolen any money or committed fraud. She's just been living out this fantasy. Billy bullshitter is just amazing. But she she is. She's the no, ultimate Billy bullshitter. And it, it's going to get serious now. So actively looking to get a loan is obviously fine, but not when you're using forged documentation to secure it, which oh. is exactly what Anna attempted to do. In mid-2016, Anna had to leave the US in order to reset her visa. So she moved back home to live with her parents in Germany and she was there for a few months. And it was during this time that she began communicating with City National Bank in earnest. Using Microsoft Word, she forged documents showing that she had assets of over $60 million. She then sent these documents to the bank in November of 2016. And they actually seriously considered her application before... I know they they did turn her down eventually, but that was kind of quite a way in and they they were really seriously considering it. On Microsoft Word as well. On Microsoft Word, probably in a bedroom at a mum and dad's house in rural Germany. Um, So City National Bank turned her down, but she then turned to Fortress Investment Group and they were interested. But there was just one catch. They wanted a deposit of $100,000 in order to get the ball rolling on her application. And that's quite normal in, mm-hmm. in high yeah. finance. To, there's a lot of money that needs to be outlaid by the bank before they can even give a decision. So, um, so yeah, they need this deposit from her. And of course, to a wealthy socialite, that wouldn't be a problem. But to Anna, it was. She was now so close to realising her dreams. All that stood in her way of securing that loan was the $100,000. Anna contacted City National Bank, whom she already had a relationship with. They'd turned her down for that $22 million loan, but they knew her. They knew she was a prospective ultra-high net worth client, and they had seen paperwork detailing her assets. And she managed to persuade them to extend a $100,000 line of credit to her in the form of an overdraft on the understanding that it would be repaid within a month. So kind of use one against the other? Uh, Like, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so now not so inspiring to me. Still very clever. I don't know, I love it. like yeah i think she's i think she's great (laughs) it is so interesting i love how she's doing this though this is really mad 
It is mad to picture her in her parents' modest home in Germany. She's forging all of this documentation and sending it and... And yeah, like she's dealing with massive financial institutions, really real bespoke financial institutions like City National Bank is a bank to all Hollywood A-listers. And it's quite a unique organisation in terms of how it operates. They wouldn't necessarily do like a credit check and stuff like that. They, they very much would work with you to, to see if they would want to invest in the business. So she was very close with them and Fortress were, were all over her. Um, so yeah, City agreed this hundred grand. And um, yeah, Anna, it was all in grasping distance for her now. Um, she was about to secure the loan from Fortress Investment Group. She could see it all mapped out. She would pay the hundred grand, wait a few days for the due diligence checks to be completed, take receipt of the $22 million from Fortress, pay off the hundred grand that she owed City, and then start turning her dreams into a reality. And she'd even secured the services of a top architect, as well as an army of top lawyers, to negotiate the lease on the church mission's house. So she'd got all this on credit, she wasn't paying them yet. And yeah, of course, this had all started out as a story to impress her new friends, to help keep up the pretense of her being an heiress. But could it really be that she could turn this into a reality? She was now tantalisingly close. Anna wired the $100,000 to Fortress and they completed their final security checks. The loan was agreed in principle. All that remained was to secure a meeting between Anna's bankers in Switzerland and their reps. They would compare records and clarify details, and then the money would be in her account. But there was just one problem. Anna didn't have any bankers in Switzerland. She didn't have any money. It was all a lie. And she knew there was no way that she could bullshit her way through a fake meeting in Switzerland between her bankers and their reps. She needs the little paperclip man from the Microsoft Word thing. I don't know if that still exists, (laughs) but she needs him to come on screen and just be like, I promise these are legitimate. I helped her make them. Yeah, I think he was circa 2001. Um, I, I kind of like to think actually at this time, because Anna was so close. She was so close to getting that money from Fortress. And I like to think that she was probably brainstorming ideas of how she could engineer a fake meeting in Switzerland between her bankers and the, the reps from Fortress. And I bet it even crossed her mind to kind of get like an out of work actor to pose as as um as a rep from her bank. And I'm sure she considered that, but but she didn't go. You'd have to it. trust someone so much though to be able to get them in on something like that. So I mean that is the ultimate con, mm-hmm. isn't it? Flying someone over to Geneva in Switzerland, renting an office for the day and dressing them up as your personal banker. Um, I kind of think she could have maybe pulled it off, but it would have taken some doing. So very sadly for Anna, she'd gotten so close, but there was no alternative now but to back out of the loan application. She came up with some bollocks about her father putting the money up for the project and she then severed ties with Fortress Investment Group. They refunded her $55,000 of the 100000 that she'd paid them because they didn't use all of that. And um, she wired this to another account that she held with another bank. Uh, this was all while she was still living with her parents in Germany for those few months while she reset a visa. So as soon as she um, got the 55000 off Fortress and sent that to her bank account in America, she booked a first class ticket back to New York where she checked into the 11 Howard Hotel, one of the newest boutique hotels in Soho, owned by Abby Rosen, the same Abby Rosen who just happened to own the church mission's house. 
Armed with the $55,000 Fortress had returned to her, and with no intention of repaying her overdraft with City National Bank, Anna began to live the high life like never before. At the Eleven Howard Hotel, where she would go on to stay for three months, she would regularly dish out $100 tips to the staff. Consequently, and also owing to the length of her stay, she became very popular at the hotel, particularly with the concierge Nefertari Davis. And this wasn't the only new friend Anna was making upon her return to New York. She also became friends with Rachel Williams at this time, who was a photo editor at Vanity Fair magazine. She described Anna as quirky, offbeat and impulsive. Rachel had been acquainted with Anna before, but on Anna's return to New York at the beginning of 2017, she had gotten in touch with her, invited her for lunch, and what followed was a really intense friendship between these two. Rachel bought into the idea of the Anna Delvey Foundation, and yes, Anna was still harbouring dreams of setting up her private members club, even though she couldn't secure private investment and the banks weren't able to kind of go ahead with the loan She's for not going to give up on her dream, is she? Her little German bakery nightclub. <laughs> Don't. Honestly, it's, it's like the stuff of, I want to say a nightmare. It's not quite a nightmare. It's just, it's like a cartoon it's version mad, of a private it? Yeah, members it club. It absolutely is. So, um, so yeah, Rachel bought into the idea of the foundation and she would join Anna on multiple boozy lunches at the Eleven Howard's exclusive restaurant, Le Cuckoo, um, which Anna would charge to her room and Anna would hold court while she shared her plans for the foundation. And I have to say at this point, I, I feel Anna knew she wasn't going to get the Anna Delphi Foundation off the ground now, but she had spent months and months talking about it and planning it and she'd gotten so close and I think she just couldn't let it go. It had become part of her identity now and it fed that part of her ego that something else didn't. And I think, I really think she was living in a fantasy world now. So, as I said, Rachel became firm friends with Anna and even joined her on her sessions with personal trainer to the stars, Casey Duke, who charged $300 an hour for her services. And I have to be honest here, Rachel kind of leached off Anna's generosity. Anna was the one who always picked up the tab. She'd buy Rachel designer clothes, treat her to expensive rosé in the most exclusive bars and restaurants in Manhattan. And of course, she paid the bill when personal trainer Casey needed paying. And to be fair to Rachel, she does kind of accept this, although I'm not sure she would describe herself as a leech. Um, and, and actually, she says it wasn't Anna's supposed wealth that attracted her. It was actually her assertiveness and her irreverence. No, she wanted the free drinks. Well, I, I kind of think that. She was living <laughs> like the life of, of the rich and famous and it was all on tap. You yeah. know, it was being paid for. Um, I wouldn't say that was a, the sole reason. I, I kind of do partly believe her when she says that she was attracted to Anna's personality mm. um and yeah I think I think they did potentially balance each other out because Rachel described herself as polite a people pleaser someone who cared way too much about other fe- other people's feelings and Anna was totally the opposite she was you know narcissistic and maybe just maybe they each saw in the other qualities that they admired um and I do think that was the case for Rachel, certainly. I think she realised that she needed to give less of a shit about what people thought and start putting herself first. She was a bit of a pushover, a bit of a, you know, someone who everybody walked over. It's interesting then, isn't it? Because if she was like that kind of to begin with, but then she's almost using someone else a little bit as well. So, yeah, I think that's it's interesting. It does go to show that it's not black and white, doesn't it, in life, that 
that you're never going to have a definitive they were using this person or this person was using that person. They're just yeah, using each other. it wasn't all about money. Yeah, maybe. Over the three months that Anna stayed at the Eleven Howard Hotel, she enjoyed daily shopping trips, regular pampering sessions in which she would have $400 eyelash extensions applied, and, of course, expensive meals at Le Cuckoo, the restaurant at the hotel. Um, and although it was looking increasingly unlikely that the Anna Delvey Foundation would ever get off the ground, she was continuing to sort of live the life of a, an entitled heiress, a, a prospective businesswoman. But Anna's bills at the Eleven Howard were mounting. Upon checking in, she'd not registered a credit card with them. And within weeks, she'd racked up a bill totaling $30,000. Oh, my God. And the hotel, manage- yeah, and the hotel management were understandably growing concerned because, yeah, she'd been there weeks. She was living the high life, charging everything to her room. And, yeah, it was thirty grand by now. They had no credit card on file. So she could have walked out and never paid that bill. So the management... Uh, confronted Anna, basically, and and demanded that she settle her bill within 24 hours. And Anna's response to this was to send a case of vintage 1975 Dom Perignon to the hotel staff in order to buy herself some more time. Oh, my God. I know, which I I love that style. Um, But the management ordered the staff to refuse the gesture, and they continued to demand payment. And actually, Anna did pay. She paid her bill in its entirety a few days later. And I'm not sure how. Maybe she still had some money left from that $55,000 that she got from Fortress. Um, Maybe she got an old acquaintance to pay it. Maybe Hunter paid it. Um, She had had friends pay bills before, significant bills, like $11,000 for hotel stays. Um, either way, the bill was settled and Anna remained at the 11 Howard, but for how long is, is anyone's guess now? A few short weeks after this whole debacle, Anna wrote checks to herself totaling $160,000, which she deposited into a bank account with Citibank. She then quickly withdrew $70,000 before the checks bounced. And they call this sort of check fraud or check kiting. Uh, I think I, I don't know if you can still do it because the check clearing system's completely changed now. But you used to be able to use a, a sort of flaw in the system of the check clearing cycle where you could withdraw money in a, a few hours of grace period before uh, before the checks bounced. And, and that's what Anna did. She got 70 grand doing that. Of course, obviously, it's illegal. Well, I think nowadays, like, you probably couldn't in the UK, but I just don't know about America. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're still quite weird over there. When when you pay for something with your card in a shop, you have to sign. They oh, don't do chip and pin. They don't weird. do chip and pin. Weird. Uh, anyway, so armed with this $70,000 that she'd kind of conned out of Citibank and the fifty-five grand that Fortress had returned to her, in the weeks that followed, Anna continued to live the life of a uh, socialite. On one occasion, she booked a private jet to Omaha, Nebraska through the private aviation company Blade. Despite having never used their services before, she managed to persuade them to allow her their services on credit. Usually they'd take a fee up front, but on this occasion, when Anna booked this jet, she name-dropped the CEO. And um, that person who she name-dropped the CEO to kind of spoke with the CEO and he was like, yeah, I, I have met her, I do know her. And he'd, he'd bought into the whole uh, rich heiress persona that she was wow. cavorting This with. is what's yeah. so clever of like memorising people and their likes and dislikes. Yeah. She'd have really charmed that person. 
for them yeah. to then be like, oh, yeah, that heiress, I do know who she is. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, and, and he'd have no reason not to believe it. And, he, yeah, she would have charmed him and he met her and she left an impression. And he's probably flattered that she's using his company. And that's kind of how a lot of rich people live. They they kind of live with things on credit, on account. And I think he probably thought, yeah, she's good for the money. So, um yeah, she kind of flies to Omaha, Nebraska, and uh, she told anyone and everyone that would listen that she was traveling there in order to attend Warren Buffett's shareholder meeting, which is some kind of like networking event for the rich and the powerful that happens once a year. Um, and Anna did go to Omaha, uh, but she didn't attend that meeting. She just went to the zoo and got drunk on her own, <laughs> which I thought was really sad, though. Isn't that oh sad? I just like the idea, though, of just like, I'm going to go to the zoo. But then of all the places to get drunk, the zoo. Yeah, I love it. It's a bit dangerous, isn't it? It's so bizarre. But it is sad that she's on her own, but I'm not feeling as sad for her now. At the beginning, I kind of enjoyed it. But I think if she was doing this with some friends and she was having, you know, living the high life and having a bit of an adventure, it would be very different. But now I'm kind of like, what was even the point of that flight to Omaha then? You're just doing this for what you look like on a pl- flight to Omaha, blah, blah, blah. Like, I, I've thought oh, about it. I think that's exactly what it was. Mm-hmm. I think I think she she wanted to impress her newfound friends and um, telling them that she was getting a jet to Omaha uh, to attend Warren Buffett's annual shareholder meeting. Yeah, I think it was all about impressing her friends. And she'd have no doubt posted pictures of herself on that jet on Instagram. And yeah, it would have looked very legitimate to them. And it would have also continued to build on that persona that she created of of being this businesswoman, this um, heiress-in-waiting. Upon Anna's return to the Eleven Howard in New York, she discovered that she'd been locked out of her room, and she was informed her possessions had been put into storage and that she was no longer welcome at the hotel. And, I mean, there's a bit more to this, and and basically, um, Neff, the concierge at the hotel, was talking to the hotel owner's sons one day and saying, oh, we've got um, Anna Delvey staying here, and she's looking at leasing the church missions house, which your dad owns, and the son was kind of like, I've never heard of her, and no, she's not looking to lease that building, and Neff, the concierge, was like, she's staying in a room here, and he was like, why is she not in a suite then? If she's got all this money... If she's if she's doing business with my dad, who's like a billionaire and owns this place, why is she not staying in a suite? So I think it started to sound a, a lot of alarm bells. And yeah, she continued to rack up this bill. She'd paid the first 30 grand, but thousands more had been racked up and there was no credit card on file. So I think they just cut their losses at this point. And Anna was, you know, as they would say in America, pissed. Um, but ultimately she wasn't really too bothered and she just checked into another fancy hotel, again, avoiding placing a credit card on file upon check-in. So shortly after moving out of the Eleven Howard, Anna, still hell-bent on bringing the Anna Delvey Foundation to fruition, to the outside world at least, I don't know whether she really believed it now herself, Um, and with her ego now in overdrive, she decided she needed to create more of a buzz around herself and her plans for the foundation. So she mooted the idea of starring in a documentary about her plans to bring the foundation to life. And she saw this as an opportunity to inspire others and showcase her talent. I mean, how, <laughs> how, like, um, what's the word? I mean, her word? acting talent of pretending to be someone yeah. she's not. She and is the confidence. deluded, though, isn't she? 
the ego on that oh my is God. just obscene. Yeah. Um, so Rachel, the friend uh, that she'd made in New York who worked as a photo editor at Vanity Fair, uh, she put Anna in touch with a cameraman that she knew, a guy called Jesse Hawk. And um, Anna came up with this plan of decamping to Marrakesh with Jesse, the cameraman, to kind of have a bit of time away from New York because she needed to reset a visa anyway. Um, but some time away from New York in a sunnier climate and uh, with with the idea of getting used to being filmed a bit and getting some tester shots done for this this documentary. And um, Anna invited Rachel and, and Casey, her personal trainer, telling them that she would cover all of their expenses for this supposed trip of a lifetime. So, yeah, the four of them were, were set to go to Marrakesh. And now I can kind of understand it a little bit more. You're going with your friend and your personal trainer and this kind of makes a bit more sense as to why you would do something like this. It's Marrakesh, it's really cool, it's going to be amazing. Um, I kind of get that a lot more than going to the zoo on my own drunk and yeah. sitting and looking at some yeah. bears with a glass of wine. Like It's just... Mm. Weird. Um, and this, this, the idea of this trip makes me a bit sad because... We, we, as we said, Anna is a bit of an anti-hero in all of this, but she is clearly desperately lonely. And the only people that she can persuade to come on an all-expenses-paid holiday with her are Rachel, who it appears would turn up at the opening of an envelope if free champagne was on offer, mm-hmm. and her personal trainer, who you know I'm guessing she's paying, and this cameraman, um, who she's kind of paying or paying yeah, in but kind. But that's her own she's, fault. She's Don't feel sorry for her. She hasn't made friends. She hasn't yeah, gone out true. there to make any friends, though. She has literally used people for their connections. So I don't feel sorry for her. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, Anna, um, I, I think this this is also one of the reasons why she needs those people around her, because if she doesn't have these people around her, the Anna Delvey Foundation and her life as a ger- German heiress are just daydreams in her mm-hmm. head. But if she's got people people around her where she can talk about these things, then it does make it a bit more of a reality. That's so true. Um, yeah, so I think I think a large part of it is is that. And she did have lots of other friends in New York um, in the early days, but she kind of um, lost touch with them. And mm. I think she was a, a bit of a dick, really. She never said please or thank you. She was quite rude, um, very blunt. And I think slowly but surely that alienated people. For someone like Casey, the personal trainer, you know, Casey was a bit like a mother figure to Anna. She kind of saw her a bit like a, in a maternal capacity and wanted to look after her. And of course, Rachel kind of admired Anna's bluntness. So, so that's what kept them around. So Anna booked a private villa before they flew out in the grounds of an exclusive hotel in Marrakesh at a cost of $7,000 a night. And um, before they flew out, she gave Rachel her credit card and asked her to make all of the arrangements and to book everyone's flights. However, when Anna's card was declined, she persuaded Rachel to pay with her own card, telling her that she would pay her back as soon as possible. Oh, dear. I know. And these would have been first class flights, obviously. So on Saturday the 13th of May in 2017, I think it was, I think I've written 2016, I think it was 2017, the group touched down in Marrakesh. But the trip was a disaster from start to finish. Anna was drinking a lot and she was either drunk or hungover and her constant moods cast a shadow over the rest of the party. Her cards didn't appear to work in Morocco and she managed to cajole Rachel into putting everything on her card, once again with the promise that she would pay her back upon their return to the US. 
And you wouldn't disbelieve her, would you? No, because you know? you've, you've been she's with Anna when she's been splashing the, the cash. Yeah. yeah, you've flown there first class. You're staying in this amazing villa. You've seen Anna on a private jet on her Instagram page. You're not going to disbelieve that she's no. a millionaireess. Anna's cameraman, Jesse Hawke, was unclear what his brief was. And when he filmed Anna, she would sort of recoil awkwardly. She hated being filmed. She much preferred just having like photos taken that she could control a lot more. Um, so that was worrying for him because the whole idea was to kind of get Anna used to being filmed in preparation for starting this documentary and it just wasn't working. And um, yeah, it was just, it was hard for him to really um, get any any sort of decent footage. And unfortunately for Casey, she got sick within the first couple of days. Uh, she got really bad food poisoning and flew back home, which oh, I completely gosh. sympathise with because I flew there. And um, I, when I got home, I was ill for a month, oh, really God. ill. Um, lovely place, but just don't, don't eat over there. <laughs> don't drink or eat if you go to Marrakesh and you'll be okay. So um, the hotel became suspicious within a couple of days as once again Anna had avoided putting any credit card on file when she checked in. And five days into the holiday, security stormed her villa and demanded she register her credit card with them. Once again, this fell to Rachel, who now used her works Amex card for the hotel to put hold on. Rachel left the next day, which had always been the plan as she had to return to New York. But by the time she boarded her plane home, she'd racked up costs totaling $62,000. So this left just Anna and Jesse in Marrakesh now, and Anna begged Jesse to stay with her, offering to fly him anywhere in the world, but he just wanted to go home. He didn't particularly like Anna and he'd grown bored of her company and besides the film project wasn't working and that's why he was there in the first place. Um, but it sounded like Anna was desperate to keep him there. So, you know, one by one, all of them had left and um, yeah, he, he eventually left on his own and Anna then spent a few days in Morocco because she moved from Marrakesh uh, up to a hotel at the Atlas Mountains. And yeah, she stayed there for a few days on her own and I think she again struggled to pay the bill up there and phoned someone and got someone to pay it and then she flew back to New York. So when Anna did get back to New York Rachel got in touch with her to ask her for the money. At first Anna assured her that she would wire the money and actually she said I'll send you $70,000 which will more than cover the 62000 that that she owes and um, Rachel was relieved obviously she was going to make $8,000 out of this for one. But when Anna kept stalling her and eventually ghosted her, Rachel really began to panic and she would wake up in the mornings with a feeling of dread. And at this point, she only had $1,000 to her name. All of her credit cards were maxed out and she'd also charged a massive amount to her company card. Don't forget. Yeah, that's almost like the worst part for me. Oh, yeah. I think that's what she was mostly worried yeah. about. That would have been in serious breach of the terms of her employment. She could have got sacked for that. Um, so, yeah, it, it would have been incredibly worrying. Anna, meanwhile, continued to live the high life, staying in swanky hotels before doing a runner without ever settling the bill. But things did come to a head when she left a restaurant at the La Parca Meridian Hotel without paying. The staff literally came out running after her onto the street and dragged her back in. And when all of her cards were declined, <laughs> they called... Yeah, I know how humiliating. Um, I think she'd been there for six hours as well, having like a boozy lunch on her she own. She was probably quite easy to 
grabbing the street as well because she'd have been wearing nice fancy heels. She's not going to be able to really run. And she'd be a bit She'd pissed. have been pissed. Yeah. Yeah, she'd be like massively pissed after a six-hour bender at La Parca Meridian. Um, so, yeah, so they ran out after her, dragged her back in. All of her cards were declined and, and they were like, we're not fucking around here. We're going to call the police. And um, NYPD turned up and arrested her. And she was charged with theft of services and released on bail pending a court appearance in September of that year. So, you know, it was it was really starting to get serious now. On the 31st of July that year, the New York Post published a story all about Anna and how she'd fled the restaurant at the La Parca Meridian. And they also accused her of not having paid numerous hotel bills. So they were really digging the dirt upon her in this article. And they exposed her, really. They they said that she's a wannabe socialite. She's not an heiress. Uh, she's just somebody that's kind of faking it. And um, yeah, it looked like her cover was now blown once and for all. Just before the story broke, and now desperate for her money back, Rachel persuaded their mutual friend Casey to invite Anna to a restaurant. When Anna showed up, Rachel appeared out of the blue and confronted her, and she demanded to know the truth. Good for you, Rachel. For I know, I loved it. was a walkover it. at the beginning, she's really found herself. Like It's horrible it's taken what it took, but fair play to her. Yeah, if there's one winner in all this, it's Rachel, which I'll come on to in a bit more detail in a moment. Um, so yeah, Rachel just, can you imagine, like, Anna just thinks she's going for dinner with Casey and, um, gets there and then Rachel's like, hello. I love And uh, where's, where's my money, bitch? Yeah. And, um, but yeah, rather than just give it up and, and say, like, I'm sorry, I've lied, blah, 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 Anna just continued to, to say, yeah, you know, I'll get it, blah, blah, blah. Um, but then I think it was like later that day or the next day, the story broke in the New York Post and the harsh reality finally dawned on Rachel. It was now finally clear that Anna was a con artist and she'd been played like a violin. In the days that followed Anna's public shaming, she fled the East Coast and checked into a rehab clinic in Los Angeles. And it was called Passages, and it's um, a really famous rehab clinic. They've had people like Lindsay Lowen go there. And um, as a result of checking into that clinic, Anna missed her court appearance in September in New York. And um, Rachel eventually tracked her down, having first informed law enforcement about all of this. And they worked together and essentially entrapped Anna. And um, ultimately, Anna was arrested outside of the gates of passages. And finally, the game was up, not just doing the runner from the restaurant and all the hotels, but, you know, now effectively stealing this money from from Rachel and also uh, attempting to obtain these fraudulent loans and getting money from... Uh, whatever bank it was you know it was all the game was completely up now um so we're coming towards the end but I just wanted to say at this point I think personally I think Anna um she checked into passages in in LA because it's kind of what all celebrities do and she kind of thought she was a celebrity but I actually think that she did realize that she had a bit of a a drinking problem at this point because she her drinking had massively escalated and I think she was very clearly self-medicating the anxiety that comes with with leading such a double life and um yeah I think she probably did genuinely want some help so I felt a bit sad that um, her days at Passages were numbered and she was dragged back to New York. It's such a difficult one, isn't it? Because she has brought this on herself, but equally she's tried to do something to help as well. So yeah, it's a really tough one. 
But, I mean, the fees at Passages are $60,000 a month. So. She's not going to be paying them, is she? Well, exactly. She wasn't going to pay them or she was going to pay them with stolen money. So she shouldn't have ever been there. But um, but I did feel for her. I thought, yeah, she's, she's got multiple problems. Narcissistic personality disorder, alcoholism, probably. Um, that's the least of it. And they probably could have helped her. Um, but anyway, a, a different form of uh, rehab was in store for her. So she um, was charged in New York with grand loss and theft of services and that was in October of 2017 and she was offered a plea deal if she returned to Germany to carry out her sentence but she refused and she pled not guilty and ultimately a jury found her guilty and she was sentenced to jail uh, to jail, sentenced to a prison sentence of between 4 and 12 years. And she was also told to pay restitution totaling $200,000. Um, Rachel was let off by American Express, no doubt keen to capitalise on this from a PR perspective. And she was also offered a book deal and paid $300,000 oh for God, that. Oh my God, what? I know. <laughs> Um, so she she doesn't work for Vanity Fair anymore, but she um, while she still worked for them after all of this had come out, she wrote a, a big article on on all of this, and um, that's how the book deal uh, came to fruition. And she wrote this book called My Friend Anna, uh, which is a big book. It's really successful. Um, so Rachel did pretty well out of this. And Jesse Hawke, the cameraman uh, who accompanied Anna on that mm-hmm. trip to Mar- Marrakesh, he was paid by Netflix for his account of his time with Anna. And then Nefertari Davis, the concierge at the Eleven Howard, was paid as a consultant for um, for Anna's story, which is coming to Netflix on Friday. Oh my God, I'm so going to watch this. This is why I covered it, really, because Netflix got in touch and said... <gasps> We'll pay you a million dollars if you promote Did this. they? So and are you going to buy like, me champagne with your imaginary million dollars now? Well, I thought we could jet first class to New York first. Let's go to Marrakesh. <laughs> what they said actually was that they'll pay our Netflix bill for two months. Oh my and God. And I was like, yeah, I was all over it, Beth, and I was all over it. If they're it, actually so. paying our Netflix bills. <laughs> So anyway, the drama's coming to Netflix on Friday. It's a 10-part drama called Inventing Anna. And um, it looks amazing. It looks really, really interesting. Um, Just finally, in court, Anna did apologise for her mistakes, uh, which I think is a bit grey. Did she mean her mistakes in getting caught or not quite being clever enough or her mistakes in kind of uh, causing... uh, distrusting people and fucking them over? I like to hope that she's apologising for doing the wrong thing. That's what I'm hoping. Mm, I really hope I'm not so. so sure. I'm not so sure. And um, th- there'll be loads in the drama about her court appearances. Uh, the trial lasted for a few weeks and she even had a stylist. And, oh, of course she uh, did. She, you know, she would delay proceedings because her stylist hadn't turned up with a particular dress that day. <laughs> oh, uh, you know, it's all so, like, funny. <laughs> okay, maybe actually it. when she's in court, she's just saying the things she thinks she needs to say because that's the act she's putting on. She's playing a character of someone in, in court. And she actually um, admitted at the end of all this that it wasn't really money that motivated her, it was power. And um, and that, that was ultimately what she wanted to achieve, the ultimate power. So that's what all of this was about for her. And um, yeah, she served about two years in prison. She was released last year in February, I think. And um, she was kind of active on her social media accounts and stuff. And there was talk of this Netflix deal, um, but she couldn't really make any money off it because of the Uncle Sam law in America 
banning you from profiting from crimes. We've got similar here. So she couldn't really make any money from it. And then she just vanished. And I was like, where the fuck has she gone? Like there was, you know, I knew about the story. It was so interesting. And I was really interested to see what she would do next. And within a month, she had vanished off the face of the earth. And actually, she'd been recalled to prison for outstaying her visa. And she's still in, pri- <laughs> oh she's still in prison right now. She's, she's just, still in uh... prison for that. So it's a shame, really. But there she is. I living really a best prison bitch this lifestyle. Prison bitch, basic bitch. She's been all sorts of bitches to you. I really enjoyed this episode because I purposefully tried not to know anything about it, and I'm definitely watching this Netflix thing as well. Yeah, it was a very good episode. So thank you very much, Mark. And actually, nice to have a bit of a breather, a bit of a lighthearted one. Sometimes mm. we do go too too serious and heavy too often. So yeah, very good. Yeah, after two mass shoot- shooting shoutings on the trot, it was mm-hmm. um, time for something different. Okay, so yeah, um, thank you for listening. Uh, don't forget to check out our sponsor. That's noom.com slash seeing red. And um, also you can find us on Patreon. If you like uh, what you're listening to, we've got another podcast over there called, uh, what's it called? Crime Wave. Crime Wave. Crime Wave with Bethan and her little friend, Mark. Little friend, dude. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so uh, that's over on Patreon. And we talk about topical true crime stories making the news and um, have a bit of a laugh about it where, wherever we can, if we can. Uh, so, yeah, patreon.com slash Podcast. But we will see you next week for another case. We'll see you then. Take Bye. care, everyone. Bye.